In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I talk about Mark Eversley being hired as a general manager of the Chicago Bulls, possibility of practice facilities reopening, of resuming the season in a one-location setting in Disney World, and we rank the Sixers' young players and who we value the most in Matisse Thibel, Shake Milton, Furkan Korkmaz, and also rank what went into the disappointing season. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. I guess real quick at the top, because I frequently forget to do this, uh, if you are a fan of the podcast, if you want to hear or hear, read our written work, head on over to theathletic.com slash Sixers Beat. We can get credit for sending you there. We would appreciate it, and hopefully you will like that content as well. How you doing, Rich? I'm okay, man. My hair is not great, though. <laughs> I buzzed my hair myself. Oh, wow. How'd I do not go? have enough hair to pull off a buzz cut. It's not the greatest look in the world. But I cannot, I cannot go two months without a haircut, so I did that. Wow. So I have a modified mullet going on <laughs> right now. Can we get a picture? We need a picture of this. You can. probably. <laughs> Let's give it a couple more weeks, though, because I don't really plan on uh, on cutting it myself. It's not a business in the front, because really there's just like not as much going on in the front. But they're, uh, I wouldn't even say it's a party in the back either, but it's, <laughs> it's really shitty. And well, my back socially distances itself. So working on that. Yeah. So you actually cut your hair yourself. Wow. I mean, I got a, well, I had a, I had a a trimmer before I put on, I think a a number four and I just went to town. Yep. Yeah. I I used to get my hair cut in college when my, my hairline was better to save a little money. My buddy would do it. And since then I've, uh, I've had to go to one of the pros, but yeah, that's been one of the funny things. Every day, just kind of looking at how much bigger it gets. And I uh, I don't know when it's going to stop. So. <laughs> no, there's a lot of inconveniences. I actually, I chipped a tooth last week. Uh, mm. So I was eating, it was a, a, you know, sort of like one of those those snack packs where it has like some kind of fruit and then some nuts and some cheese. And I thought I had finished eating all of the nuts and I was moving on to the cheese and I went and I bit down and there was still a nut in my mouth. And uh yeah, it's been it's been painful. I have a, a a dentist appointment for next Wednesday, but that was the earliest with the you know, obviously all the coronavirus pandemic and limiting it to just medical emergencies. Um, I was not at the top of that list, so hopefully that is okay because it is starting to really piss me off. It's not the best time to do anything bad to yourself because Mm-mm. lines are backed up everywhere. I would say, yeah. You know, I would say on a scale of one to ten, it is probably a three or a four most of the time. So I am, I am, I'm getting by. I just hope there's no, no further damage because of that. But we'll see. All right, basketball world. We have a whole bunch of very minor news <laughs> information to talk about. Isn't that um, funny, by the way? How any sort of news has gotten blown up to oh, an yeah. insane proportion during this? Like a few weeks ago. And don't get me wrong, hiring an NBA GM is a big deal. And in the Bulls case, like they've had two GMs since Jerry Krause, which has also been timely because the last dance has been almost like a live sporting event with the way people are tweeting about it. But they they have not 
had much change in their front office and they've kept it close to the vest for a long time. But when they hire Arturis Karnasovas, is that how you say it? It sounds good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the best I can do. There was so much stuff on him. I felt like after a couple days, I knew that guy's complete life history. <laughs> and I think that goes to show like that I am also for- starving for, yes. for news and I will read pretty much anything. And I guess that's a pretty good segue about what we're going to talk about to start. Yeah. So do you want to start with Hinky or Eversley? Eversley. Okay. So the Bulls then obviously hired Mark Eversley as her GM. Eversley was previously the VP of player personnel. Was that his final title? I think that was his final title. They changed titles very frequently. But basically, he was primarily focused on two things, I would say. And with with this ownership, with this management group, it's never as cut and dry as you would expect. But he was very big into player personnel and scouting the draft. And also very big in relationships and, you know, communicating around the league. He'd been in and around the league for quite some time at this point. Uh, So that's really where the two biggest... Um, impacts will be. I would say the biggest impact will be in terms of player personnel and specifically in scouting the draft. He was very heavily involved in that. You'll probably see a little more. Well, not like you'll see it because it's all behind closed doors, but I would guess someone like Vince Rosman, who I think is a VP of scouting. And I could be making that up because like I said, these, these titles change quite a bit, but he, uh, you'll probably see him take a little more control of the draft, probably see a little more out of Alex Rucker, who is probably, you would consider the number two on the staff right now behind brand. And, you know, they will, from what I've been told, they haven't yet made a decision on whether or not they will directly replace him with an outside person or whether they will move forward with, uh, you know, with their, their current staff. Elton is still evaluating that, but you'd expect everybody will get a little bump in responsibility now. I'd be curious to see how long it takes some of these teams. And this really just isn't the Sixers. I think I read something, that John Hollinger wrote about how they're always kind of coming up with new titles for assistant GMs. You got to get creative nowadays to make it as confusing as possible for everybody. But yeah, I think Eversley, the biggest loss would be with player personnel. He was very heavily involved. I do think I'll, I'll, I'll correct myself right now. Eversley was the senior vice president of player personnel, not the vice president of player personnel. You just add on these different words, right. and does it really matter? No. Add a letter to the acronym. That's all that matters. Yep. I do think sometimes certain guys can get credit for, and unfortunately, it's probably mostly guys instead of girls. Hopefully, that changes a little bit, like now. But And the Sixers have been, I would say they've been moving forward on that front in the last few years. Oh, yeah. That, that's more of an NBA right. Right. criticism than a Sixers criticism. But they get these executives get credit for specific picks that hit. Like I think right. I saw in a couple places that Eversley, as far back as Demar Derozan, he was the uh, the guy who made the pick. I remember it's funny. I I remember you said this at the uh, at the Markel Fultz press conference. I'm gonna pull back the curtain a little bit. We were talking about it. Colangelo gave him a lot of credit. He was like, Markel Fultz, that's the guy. It was Mark Eversley who said that. And this was a triumphant press conference because the Sixers had just traded up for Markel Fultz. They were feeling themselves there, yeah. He was the missing piece. They were taking a whiff. You know, they felt really good about themselves. And to be fair, we said like we were sitting there thinking, like, yeah, this is this is great. Yeah, this is good. You know, maybe don't take 
that level of whiff about yourself. But at the time, even when the Fultz pick was viewed as this big time acquisition and, and maybe the missing piece, we were like, you know, Mark Eversley, I think everybody kind of knew he was pretty good. Markel Fultz. You didn't, it wasn't like he was the first person who found him out. And then it's funny, that one has kind of been held against him. It's like, oh man, he was big on on making the Markel Fultz move. And I think he probably was. Like, I, I think he probably was part of the front office collective who, who wanted to bring Markel Fultz in. But I think the point I'm making is he was not the only one. Right. And the way these decisions get made, especially with the Sixers, it's always a question of kind of who makes the final decision. And we put that on the GM and, you know, when Brett was the GM, you put that on him and you also put that on ownership too, with the realization that, Hey, if the ownership doesn't green light it, then it doesn't matter how good your GM is. You you talk to people around the league. I think a lot of people do respect Mark Eversley for his talent evaluation. And look, talent evaluation, the, the draft is probably the one part of this regime that we had the least out, outside of Markel. And look, every Front office will have that one miss. And frankly, I don't think that was a scouting miss. I think that was a background check miss. But outside of Markel, I think they've had a really good string of drafts. Yeah. And I think they deserve credit for that. And obviously, as the senior vice president of player personnel, Mark probably deserves more of that share of the credit than some of the other people in this front office. So I think, uh, you know, certainly I want to give him credit for what he did here. It was the, again, the arm of the front office that I think we had the least objection to. And probably the arm that had the most success in. And you assume he was a pretty big part of that. Yeah, it's hard to argue with their late first round picks and then even their second round picks over the past couple of years. Shake Milton, as I think we're going to talk about a little bit later, that's looking like a hell of a pick. What was Shake? Kind of like 40? 54. 54. 54. Yeah, and to get him to show up on a two-way to start and then sign him the next year, that Looks like it's pretty good. It is funny that we are giving them credit for those picks. Even if all of those guys hit to exceed whatever expectations we had, Markel you, would, still you would still, yeah, if Markel yeah. hit his expectations, it would quadruple the impact of whatever those other guys yep. did. Oh, well. But that's, I mean, that's kind of the, the trouble with evaluating these hires based on, you know, their past their past track record. I mean, I'm thinking back, remember when we talked about Colangelo when he was hired and there was the Bargnani pick and then there was some other stuff that he did pretty well. And you look at it now, like with the Raptors getting Kyle Lowry in there. Well, Kyle Lowry fell back assward into him. They really wanted Steve Nash. Lowry was a backup plan. Yeah. And then Steve Nash, of course, ended up tanking and he was pretty much done at that point of his career. So even that is tough to evaluate because, you know, Kyle Lowry was their plan B. He ended up being a really good plan B, much better than their plan A. But you wonder what would have happened if they would have gotten what they wanted. So, yeah, all of these hires are, there's so much noise in them. And this is part of the problem with assistant coaches, too. You don't know how much power they had, how much influence they had, what you're really basing based off the successes of people around them or above them. And it's, uh, you know, it's tough. And and you also, like, there's, who just has the best hype men around them, too? Like, some of these... Assistant GMs, like whose GMs or people in their sphere of influence are just really good at convincing other people, hey, you should you should interview this guy. He's he's really bright. He's really it's it's so tough. And uh, you know, it's 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 we'll see. I I, I truthfully I wish uh, I wish Mark nothing but the best. I think he got a pretty good job too. I think 
when you look at the Bulls and how bad they've been and what a flagship franchise they used to be in the past. And I like some of their young players. I think they have a chance to, you know, they, they don't have any slam dunk superstars, but they have a bunch of guys who are either underperforming right now or have shown a little bit of promise that I think have a chance. And they're uh, they're not like, they, they have their picks moving forward. And I think after the next season, like 2021, they have not been generally a good free agency team, but I think they have a chance to strike in that market in a few years. So yep. it's a good gig. And it's a it's a step up because it's the unquestioned number two spot in Chicago. Right. Good for Mark. All right, let's pause for one brief moment to talk about the Black Tux. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suited tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? It turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tux shops that shall not be named. Go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. We felt we were buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. What I love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process that brings your shooter tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with code SIXERS. That's theblacktux.com, code SIXERS, for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. And now back to the show. All right, moving on to another former general manager. This one, a president of basketball operations and general manager, which is still interesting that they haven't yet filled that role here. They only have Elton Brand as the general manager. But Sam Hinkie has, let's see, raised $50 million for a Silicon Valley venture capital firm called 87 Capital. Rich, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know I'm an expert in this sphere, <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, look, I, 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 I was listening to... Spike and Mike on the Ricky, uh, I, I guess since I didn't say their name in a very, very deliberately didn't say their name in an article I wrote this past week, I will say it here. But, you know, they were like, basically like, can you stop being weird <laughs> is the general gist of their argument. Can you can our can our basketball guy just be a basketball guy so you can't confirm like Howard Eskin and Angelo Cataldi's worst fears? And that's just that's not him. Like he has interests outside of the sport. He. I've always said he will only ever get back into the sport under the exact right circumstances. And that is this kind of stuff is part of who he is. And I thought it was interesting that it was called 87 capital for the name of the firm. It is. We'll see. It, it did say that they are expect early stage investments, but not with a sports focus. Um, you know, I think a lot of people took this news and they were surprised by it. Hinky has, has invested in, I think it was two other companies before this point. So this isn't entirely new for him. We'll see where it goes. I was thinking, like, what would be a better name for his uh, his firm? Like second round pick capital <laughs> or? It is interesting that he salary went. Salary cap floor capital <laughs> yeah. or. It is interesting that he went for a very obvious basketball reference. And then they said, but this isn't going to have a sports focus. It's like, it was like a minor troll job. I like it. I like it. I like it. Um. 
Hey, who knows? Maybe we'll get him on the podcast. Yeah, right. Yeah, fucking right. Could use him now. Yeah, there's not a whole lot else to talk about. Um, Hey, Sam, you're listening. You're welcome to come on. But I, I also know the uh, to keep my expectations in check. I guess next up on the agenda, practice arenas, like some of the stay-at-home orders are being lifted soon. Which means some practice arenas may be reopening. Now, Philly's in an interesting spot. Pennsylvania reopens as of now is set to lift it, lift the orders on May 8th. But New Jersey, where the practice facility is located, is still set to be on stay at home indefinitely. This is going to be real interesting how the NBA goes about this, especially when you start talking about like a playoff and being able to ramp back up. There's obviously going to be all kinds of rules and regulations on how many players can be in there, what they can be working on. Um, how you would go about distancing with the staff and all that stuff. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But it is interesting with how, like what teams are going to be at an advantage, especially with a, a possibly shortened end of the season and jump in the playoffs. And what, how much of it is like, if you're the Sixers right now, you have to be raising hell because that could put you at a real competitive disadvantage. And, and you need this time to ramp back up. I thought it was funny that there were reports this week about, some agents and some players, I believe, who wanted to shut the season down completely. But then, like, LeBron right away was like, no, 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 we didn't say that. And I, I, I well, think- By the way, Le- LeBron, who a couple months ago said he didn't want to play in front of a, in front of no fans. Yeah, but, but now he- Now under- he's been sitting around for a month and a half and he changed his tune, which I get. I totally get. Trust me. And he knows the standings. I wonder if he would have- freaked out if it was this happened at this time last year when yeah. his team sucked and they were going to be in the lottery. Well, that's, that's I, like, I've had that question, like how many teams are going to want, you know, the season to resume? I I guess probably about 16 teams are really going to want the season to resume and 14 teams, give or take, like maybe a couple on the bubble that, uh, that won't really care too much. That and and even how would the revenue cut? Co- Cause you wouldn't even be getting, you know, the home gate that would come from hosting a couple of home playoff games. So yeah, I wonder if some of the Eastern Conference, maybe the seven or eight seeds, do they really want to play, get their ass kicked by Milwaukee? I don't know. But uh, the Sixers obviously are, are one of those teams that would want to continue to play. Like I, I saw Steve Kerr the other day say that the Warriors are basically in off-season mode at this point because I think they have the worst record in the league. They understand that they're not going to be playing, but – you know, you see, you're just kind of reading the tea leaves all around. The draft lottery was postponed just a little bit before we came on here. And that seems to me to be a sign that there's still some hope of playing regular season games. Because you could have the draft lottery if you were confident that you have your playoff teams at this point. But they don't have that. And yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, I think the Sixers would, would want to pre- practice and get their... uh Get their facility open. Now that said, would it just be like an individual workout where you have to wipe down the ball 80 times and can only have three or four players in the gym at once and only one trainer? Like I would imagine they would want to get that clock started and get players like Embiid and Simmons back shooting and and working out. But it still seems like we're a ways away from even a couple players playing at one time. Yeah, it is. Anytime we have this conversation, I just worry that people will 
just be responsible in what they do and this decision that they make. And it's a tough balancing act um, because there is such an economic, there's so many e- economic repercussions about what's going on. Yeah. Um, we, but it's, these are, these are, are tough decisions for sure. We want the league to make money. Don't get me right. wrong. Uh, we like that. Th- that would be a good thing for, for us. That was and- my favorite thing. I had somebody say, oh, well, you liberal media just love peddling panic. And I'm like, yo, buddy, I work for a, like I'm a sports reporter who works for a company, a, a media company, a subscription media company that only covers sports. No, trust me. I do not have a bias to have these sporting events close. Trust me about that. Trust me. Yeah. Trust me. I just, I'm, I'm a cautious person and I want these decisions to be made with the utmost of care. That's all. And, and we're seeing reporting now of what's going on behind the scenes, but I would imagine in a few years, hopefully when this is all in the rear view mirror, that this is going to be something that could like define Adam Silver's tenure as commissioner of the NBA. And that is similar for, you know, the baseball and hockey commissioners too, because yeah, I just think it's, it's the hardest challenge he's ever had to face. Like for example, Adam Silver got a lot of credit for kicking Donald Sterling out. Slam dunk. That was easy. Yes. Yes, this get is, the racist owner out of the league. Wasn't a tough call. And really, you only did it when TMZ got those tapes of him and public sentiment got to the point where, you know, it was an easy thing to do. This is fucking hard. Like, this right. is, I don't you know are, what the right answer is. You are trying to find the, the, the least bad decision. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the right answer is. Logistically, a bubble city, and I, I guess we can get to that now. There was, I believe Shams had that news first that they Disney were considering World? Disney World, yeah. which, uh, you know, has been an idea. I think Keith Smith at Yahoo wrote about the potential of, of hosting games there a few weeks ago and, and laid out the case. I think that's intriguing to me just because it would be a, uh, you know, a private property where you have hotels, you have gyms, you, you could do a better job of roping off the entire NBA yep. from the rest of society compared to Las Vegas and their, uh, their goofy mayor and everything, ship mayor, yeah. everything that's going on. So yeah, it's, uh, I, I can't imagine how difficult this is for the NBA right now, because I, I just think every answer that they come up with has a bunch of problems. Yeah. I don't, I don't have too much interest going to Las Vegas and being in a control group. Fucking moron. Anyway, we don't, if you don't get that, the I mean, it doesn't matter. Just just go Google the, Las the Vegas, Vegas mayor. Is, yeah. Is, yeah. Who, by the way, isn't, isn't actually the mayor of Paradise, um, just Las Vegas. All right. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I didn't look. Bubble City. I don't know if like we would be if they would have media there. I assume maybe you could bring some media in, and then we would be living in that area. It does seem like Disney is like you said. Because it's so so much private land and so much infrastructure built in to support it, it does seem like for a bubble city, that's a pretty good, a pretty good option. Yeah, and then there could be a day where they let all the people at the NBA ride the rides for free. And I mean, <laughs> yeah. God, no line for like Space Mountain or Splash Mountain. That would be amazing. Tower of Terror. Do masks, they still have wear that? gloves? Only one person on per per row. Yeah. That honestly would be a dream of mine. <laughs> it would make the whole thing worth it. If I got to ride 
some of those roller coasters by myself. It could be the one positive from this entire pandemic for me. <laughs> when, when, was, when was the last time you were there? Not since I was a kid, I don't think. Uh, I think I went. There, there was a big argument online about whether you should be able to go when you're an adult. Like if that's, if you're a loser, if you do that, or, you know, if you went with a couple of your friends and wh- whether you drink at Epcot or do those other things. Again, I don't even know what kind of the bars are like or anything when you're an adult, but I, I can tell you I have multiple friends who have gone multiple times. Okay. Okay. And not, went- not just to drink, like actually to ride rides and Look, enjo- I could go, enjoy I could go hang out in Epcot. Um, anytime. Uh, I think I went, I'm going to say like 2011, 2012, somewhere in that range. I went once. Then before that was probably like 2000-ish. Then before that was early 90s. So once a decade, I'd say I'd go. Yeah. Cool place. It's tough for me because I love riding roller coasters, whether it's, I don't know, whether if it's somewhere as close as like Dorney Park or Hershey Park or like Six Flags even. I do get dizzy pretty easily. I love going okay. upside down, but man, after a couple of those, whew, I get some motion sickness when you get off the uh, off the roller coaster. Disney Disney is the only place I've ever gotten motion sickness. It was in one of those like um, Journey to Mars type rides where they put you in this moving kind of seat, this moving big box, and you watch on a screen. Oh yeah, I did like the the the, like hardcore the flight simulator. One. Yeah, almost. and um, that was the only time I've ever gotten motion sickness on a ride. I had to had to walk that one off. Other than that, I'm I'm pretty good on roller coasters um, and stuff like Soren. I don't care how old I am. I I love shit like that. Oh, I, I would love it. And uh, if we do get to go and we do get to ride the rides, I promise you that I will ride as many until I get motion sickness, <laughs> so I can report well, back to the If that happens, pod. we will have to live stream it as much as we can because <laughs> rich hurling on the internet is something that has to happen. All right, so I guess we'll we'll save the '90s for the last. Matisse Thibel, Shake Milton, Furkan Korkmaz. Real quickly, um, rank who you prioritize in them as a future player and future asset. So the I main... guess it's, it's basically asking, has Shake leapfrogged Matisse? Because otherwise we know the order. Yeah. I think he has. And I think that's the, the question is, how much do you value the last couple of weeks before the leak shut down or even, you know, if you want to take it further, the last couple of months when Shake got into the lineup. I think when you look at Matisse's season, it's it's interesting. I heard I heard I think Hollinger and Vicini talk about it on one of their podcasts where they have some some real offensive concerns for Matisse and I agree with that. He he's a very limited offensive player. Like we've talked a lot about how in the past some people would overvalue points per game. What did Matisse average? Like four points per game? It was yeah. not a lot. And I 4.7 and also on a 53% true shooting. So he is both low usage and also low efficiency. Yeah. That better be an efficient five points. Right. Right. No, but it, it's just, he's a very limited offensive player at this point. And, you know, it's, it's not a pretty shot. By any means, there's like some side spin on it. And it's something where I've talked about this on past podcasts, but I have so much trust in that guy as a person. And hopefully uh, Mark Eversley did, Mr. Mister Scout on, on Thibault. But, but I think anybody who has interacted with Matisse would say right away, what an impressive kid. 
like super mature, doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low, good teammate, has interests outside of basketball, which to me is a, is a major positive. And I think from everything I've seen with him working in practice, he just seems like he works his ass off. So I think the Sixers, not only betting on the unique defense, but him as a person was a good bet and something that bodes well for the future, but we have to see it first. And there is a lot of projection on the offensive end for him to become, you know, they think he's going to be a starter in the future. And for him to be a quality starter, he needs to become more of a knockdown shooter from three. I don't think he's going to be like a, you know, pick and roll ball handler, creator type, even a secondary ball handler. I think he's somebody who might be able to, attack a closeout at some point. But yeah, he needs to work on his offense. And Shake is somebody who we've seen, you know, even even if you remove the 39-point game, we've seen him do more stuff offensively. We've seen him run pick and roll with Ben Simmons. We've seen him take shots off the dribble. We've seen him take over games on the offensive end. And I think both with, you know, just in general, but with this roster, that's that's an important skill set, even with as good as Matisse, all the, the stocks that he, he gets. So I would say yes. I would put Shake ahead of Matisse, and then I would put the Corkman third, even though I've been uh, pretty impressed with the progress he's made, considering I had no expectations for, for him starting the season. Yeah. Matisse is so weird. So weird. Well, because I, I, I looked it up. He, I mean, he shot 35.2% from three this year so far quote unquote so far, which it doesn't feel like it because it seems like all of those makes were jumbled right in the middle of the season. Like he started off and he was ice cold and then he had a 14 game stretch where he shot 56.4% from three. And it felt like every one of those were like to put the game away essentially. Like they were on like a, a 15 0 run and you know, they get a transition steal and the crowd goes, Oh, 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 is he going to make it? And he knocked it down every time and then timeout the other team. And during that time, like 75% of his shots were coming from three. So that was a real odd stretch. And then he had that injury and he came back. And since then, he's been struggling again. So he's kind of like had two periods where he's really been struggling. So it doesn't really feel like a 35% shooting. Like from that point, from January 9th, he's shooting 25.3% from three. And it's like, we all know shooting is streaky. And at the end of the day, you are what you're shooting percentages says say you are. But for a guy who contributes so little offensively in the half court outside of that, like it is it is tough to withstand those down periods. That being said, I will still have Matisse ahead of Shake just because I'm so confident in his defense. And look, I think right now like his his metrics are still incredible defensively. Like he's a 3.5% steal rate, a 3.1% block rate. And I think he's a 3.1 defensive box plus minus. He's actually a positive in overall box despite being a huge negative on offense. I think those can be a little bit misleading, um, which we, we, I mean, we've talked about so much. It's almost weird talking about basketball at this point. But I think he, he still needs to find sort of like that balance. But I have a lot of confidence that he will. And part of the reason is, like you said, he's such a good person, such a hard worker, so cognizant of what he does well and what he needs to improve upon. I have a lot of confidence in him being not just a a good defender, but an impact defender. 
that if he just gets that catch-and-shoot shot and a little bit of a closeout attack dribble, then he will have a role. Shake is interesting. You know, when you're talking, like, Shake basically ended the season on a huge hot streak, too. And he's now shooting for 45.3% from three. A lot of that driven by that late-season stretch. You know, in his last, what is it here, 20 games, he shot 51.2% from three. Some huge games. Five for nine from three, five for five, five for seven, seven for nine. Huge games. He is not going to shoot seven for nine from three all the time. He's not going to shoot 51.2% from three like he has over this final stretch run, which feels like, uh, you know, a year and a half ago. So we have to figure out sort of where he normalizes. Two things. I have confidence in the shot. And the reason why he's ahead of Ferk, who has maybe not the sustained of a hot streak, but has his moments. Like he had those back-to-back 30-point games. But when Shake isn't making shots, he still does other stuff. Yeah. He's a much better defender than Korkmaz. He's a better passer. He reads stuff better. He's a much um, more natural playmaker. Yes. So I th- like clearly I think he is above Cork. But I still have to see exactly where that shot making is going to normalize at. Yeah. I think we give him a little bit of a bump because the skill set the Sixers have pretty much ignored over the last year and a half in terms of team building. So we see it and it's like, holy shit, like he can dribble the basketball. He can pass and shoot. And those three things we just, the Sixers just don't have very much of. So I think we give him a little bit of a bump for that. And it's, it's exciting because if he can grow into that, he'll add a real dynamic to the team. I just, I need to see where it normalizes a little bit more. I will go with Matisse, but I think it's very, very close. And the fact that we were having that conversation after Sixers took Shake at 54th, just, just not even two years ago, it's a, it's a, it's a good position to be in. I think for the way this roster is hopefully going to get built moving forward, if Embiid and Simmons are your two cornerstones moving forward, which they should be, then the tie would go to Shake because they can make up for whatever defensive deficiencies that Shake has. And yeah, it's it's like you said. I was impressed in the games on the the West Coast trip when Shake didn't even shoot the ball that well, because I thought he he scaled down his role pretty naturally. And, and the the way most coaches would say that is just that he's not forcing things. And I I like that. And he was still useful. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And and I like that. And I like that, you know, I, I'm doing a story that hopefully will be coming out sometime in the next week, next few days on uh, on Shake's background. But I was talking with Connor Johnson, who is the coach of the 87ers. No, the Bluecoats. What are you talking about? Oh. <laughs> Got hinky on the brain. So... <laughs> Sounds like a uh, cartoon. The the coach, yeah. <laughs> Wait, Connor, you didn't intend for that to happen? That just happened. That's great. That's great. No, I did not intend. It's uh, it's funny how things work out. The uh, the blue coats coach Connor Johnson, and he said that he was like that in the G League too. That he wouldn't force things, and you know, the G League obviously it's worse competition than the NBA. But Shake was putting up those thirty point games. And he wasn't like overly reliant on athleticism and he wasn't trying to develop this one skill. He was kind of a a weird G League player in that sense because he was just so well-rounded. So when he went to the NBA and he started putting up those big numbers, he was like, you know, it didn't really surprise me all that much. Obviously, 
it's a lot of pressure on these guys in the G League because they don't get a huge chance when they go up to the NBA. Usually it's like one or two games to really show your stuff. And then maybe some some other person gets healthy or the NBA coach says, eh, we're going to try somebody else, whatever. But he was like, he was doing a lot of the same things I saw in the G League and he's such a fundamentally sound player. Yeah, it's it's not a... It's not an indictment of Matisse by any means that I would put Shake slightly ahead of him. It's just that I've been really impressed with what Shake has done recently, and the Sixers should feel pretty decent about where those two guys compared to where they were or where I thought they were at the start of the season. Yeah. Yep. No, I agree. All right, let's pause for one more break, this time to hear from Hydrant. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We are suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. It doesn't have to be this way. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to produce perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code Sixers at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code Sixers for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code Sixers. And now back to the show. All right, so let's see. We'll go to two topics about articles we recently wrote about. First, we'll go with Mike. He wrote an article on the ranking of the factors that led to the Sixers' disappointing regular season. And the five reasons he came up with, the clunky Horford fit, the inability of perimeter players to evolve, the Ben Simmons not shooting threes, Embiid's conditioning and consistency, and then finally, schematic decisions from the coaching staff. Of those, I guess rather than ranking all five, just your top two reasons that you think this team didn't reach the heights that it could have. It's hard because I think the only one I would throw out right away would be schematic decisions from the coaching staff. That like whatever you in, think in terms of being in your top two, it's not going to qualify. Yeah, no. I think it's largely a personnel issue with this team. Hmm. Top two clunky Horford fit. It's tough, right? Because that, the first two are in They're their like own the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. The, the clunky Horford fit and the inability of the guards to, to change. I, I do think though, that when you look at the two star players, they aren't the problem with the team, their game this year. Like, you said that you thought Ben Simmons was the best player on the Sixers this year, their most consistent best most player consistent, just, just yeah. this season. Not not better than Embiid moving forward. I don't even know if I'd say better, but most consistent, yeah. But his shooting was a, a big issue, as was Embiid's... Uh, they, they weren't the solution to the problems. Like It's almost like when you talk about you know an NFL quarterback and their supporting cast. Yeah, okay, maybe the supporting cast was not well-built around them, but they also weren't lifting them up to right. a super high level. I, and I, I think it's mostly that the, the cast around them was not great. I, I would put 
more eggs in that basket, but there's a little bit of both in there. Um, yeah, so I, I guess I would say mostly it would be the first two things that, you know, the guards weren't able to adapt specifically Tobias and Josh. They just, they're not three point bombers and, and they're not the type of quick ball movers that you need around MB and Simmons. That would be second, I guess. And I would put Horford's offensive fit first because those numbers were horrifying. Those would be the top two. Yeah. I mean, my two would be Horford and the fit. And then just the lack of real perimeter half court creator. Yeah. You can, I mean, call, you can call that Simmons shooting. You can call that. Well, like I think, and, and Mike made this argument in his article, like he, his argument was basically that they expected Simmons, like they built the roster expecting Simmons to shoot. And I'm not sure, you know, e- even if Simmons came in shooting, like, I don't think teams would have, like, it wouldn't have improved the point where teams would have really been guarding him and changing how the offense functioned around whatever they were trying to do. Yeah. Like, I think, I think Simmons shooting would have been a, a step in the right direction, but I never expected it to be good enough that it would, like, Simmons just taking a shot isn't going to magically opening up this offense. It's just a very necessary first step to where it can open up the offense down the line. I think it's much more that they ignored a very needed skill set, and that's yeah. that's being able to create off the dribble. Um, and quite frankly, I think that's going to be something that, like they need to plan for. They need to add. They need to build around that skill set. Because um, no matter what Simmons is going to do, I, like he's not. I don't think he's ever going to be that Dame Lillard coming off of a pick and roll. I think you need that dynamic in their offense. I think it's, it's just a poorly constructed offensive roster. I wrote about this with, uh, I didn't really write about this. I was just asking Sam Bassini the questions and, and pasting his answers into my article because he is very plugged in with the draft and that is what he does for the athletic. We have him as a resource, which is very lucky. Uh, I think, and, he, and he, he agreed with this, they need to just start drafting for that skill set, that specific skill set, because moving forward, they're not going to have a lot of cap space, nope. right? And even if they did, even if they were, searching at the kind of you know mid-level level of player who who can give them that skill set those players are not like moving the needle by any means you look at and it'll be interesting if something you wrote about this week the salary cap drops a little bit there are going to be a lot of players who would they're going to be dying to get the mid-level exception Yep. Even the taxpayer mid-level exception. And, and part of this is that the upcoming free agent class isn't all that inspiring. But you look at players like Jeff Teague, Reggie Jackson, DJ Augustine. If you're looking at the mid-level exception to get that skill set, I think all of those guys could help to an extent. I actually, I wrote in our piece that even though I'm I'm not sure he's the best player of the three, certainly the oldest player of those three, Augustine's ability to shoot off the dribble would be kind of interesting. I think you need to take swings in the draft yes. for those type of players. And honestly, if you could, getting a backup center for that mid-level exception, if you're able to move Horford, that to me feels like something you could get much more bang for your buck for. Going back to like the drop in the salary cap, you know, I think when like first of all, this team in terms of cap, like if there's any team that's ill-positioned for a drop in the salary cap, it's the Sixers. And you're you're probably like, well, it doesn't matter because they're 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 over the cap anyway. We knew this, so who cares? Well, if you do the calculations right now, they're these are just estimates. But if they ended up at 152 million dollars salary next year, their luxury tax bill, and again, it's estimating that a cap drop from 
I think it was $117 million last summer was a projection for 2021 or 2020, 2021, when they sort of made all these decisions. Danny LaRue recently posted a hypothetical of $105 million or $107 million, $107 million, I think. And the change in, in luxury tax bill for Josh Harris went from $16 million to $56 million. So that's sort of when you start getting in the range of basically rather than the luxury tax is a sliding scale. So like when your first, first 5 million, you're over it, like a dollar that you would normally spend will actually end up costing you a dollar 25 or whatever it is, dollar 50. I forget what the first level is. But by the last level, when you're $20 million over it, each dollar starts costing you $3 and 75 cents. So all of a sudden your, your luxury tax bill skyrockets real quickly. And this is when you start to see owners start penny pinching and not using their taxpayer mid-level and not use it, not taking on salary and all these things that sort of cheap Houston Rockets owners do. So you start worrying, well, shit. Maybe, <laughs> cheap Houston Rockets owners wouldn't yeah, even dream of that. Um, but you start worrying like, well, what if Josh Harris just stops using the mid-level because they don't want to spend $18 million for a guy who should cost five? Or what do they st- start selling draft picks? Because that, that first round draft pick, rather than costing like $1.2 million, starts costing like four. So this is why like a Horford trade, yeah, you might not get any flexibility, but maybe you give Josh Harris that next contract because he'll cost you, let's say, $15 million base salary, multiply that by you know 1.5, you're talking $22 million, instead of $60 million. So these are, are sort of like why having this kind of money invested in a back what's essentially a backup center right now is really, really not just painful because that was your one chance of cap space and you use it on a guy who you're now trying to move, but painful because it could cost you in future moves too. Yeah. It would have been painful regardless, but during a pandemic where the salary cap is probably going to shrink, very painful. All right. I think we had a couple other, Items on the agenda. We actually ended up talking way longer than I expected us to. Can't use all your your, your uh, pandemic material in one podcast. So we will shelve those for another day. Rich, thank you for jumping on and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.